0: me first. It's me, you know, the host, (laughs) Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. I'm your colleague in medicine. I'm family medicine board certified, worked in rural emergency medicine. I've done correctional medicine. I've done home healthcare, nursing home, a whole bunch of fun things. Really expanded what you can do inside the space of medicine. And I'm your coach in life, that's right. I specifically coach high-achieving, professional women and men around transitions, burnout, and living their best frickin' life. And I am so excited for this episode today. I get into it a little bit in the recording, but I am speaking with the amazing Dr. Katrina Ubell, and we're going to talk all about feelings. We're going to schmooze a little bit, you know, just have a good old time. So jump into the conversation and then stick around afterwards for my kick of encouragement. Okay, here we go. All right, guys, I have to tell you, this is a hashtag girl fanning dream of mine right now. I am talking with Dr. Katrina Ubel. She's the host of Weight Loss for Busy Physician podcast. You did not know this ahead of time, but several, several years ago, I think like within like the first couple episodes of your podcast, I started listening. And you were one of those coaches that I was like, holy shit, this could be a thing. So I started coaching training in like late 2014, launched business in 2015. So I'm on my five-year anniversary. And I have to tell you that you were one of those people that was five steps ahead of me that made the dream a reality. So I thank you for that. I
1: love that. You are so, so welcome. And you know, I've heard that from other people too. Like you were the one who made it seem like it could be normal to actually be a doctor and a coach. I'm like, well, I love that I was that trailblazer. I certainly wasn't intending to do that, but it's just one of those. Awesome byproduct.
0: It's a total byproduct, and the thing is too. Like I was listening to your podcast not as a consumer for weight loss, but literally as like a mentee sitting at your feet, and like, oh, oh she's doing this group thing, and now she's like promoting a master. So okay, so <laughs> like, like, how is she doing A this? little bit. Of, it's like <laughs> when we learn physical exam from our preceptors, yeah. and like. Oh, I'm going to put my hand on their shoulder when I listen to their heart, or I'm going to like tease them with my badge, you know, to distract them looking in their ear. And so I just want to tell you that and be totally upfront as our people are listening. Like I did, I took you as part of my inspiration and you are part of my success. So thank you for that. Oh my gosh, that warms my
1: heart so much. So thank you so much for sharing that with me. Yeah. And when
0: I was like, Oh my God, Katrina, Ubell wants to be on the podcast. I was like tomorrow, tomorrow. So I'm so excited you're here. Absolutely. I'm here. I can't tell you how excited I am. But for the people who aren't, don't know about the fangirl of being a follower of yours, please tell everybody about what you're doing in the world and the magic
1: that you make happen. Oh, awesome. Okay. So I'm Katrina Ubell. I used to work as a pediatrician. I worked as a general pediatrician for 10 years, over 10 years during that time. And honestly, you know, before that as well, I really struggled with my weight. I really just thought that I liked food a lot. And that I just didn't have good systems in place. Like I needed, like, if I could just have someone like do meal planning for me, or like, for a while, I would try to have my nanny, you know, make some meals, but she just like, wasn't that great of a cook. So things that I knew could taste good, I'd be like, why does this taste bad? I gave you the recipe and all the ingredients, you know, I just couldn't figure out like how to make it work. I could always lose weight on Weight Watchers, but I couldn't keep it off for longer than a hot second. And then, you know, throw some pregnancies and stuff in there and babies and nursing and whatever. So like weight up and down again and again and again and again and again. I fully was the person with like three full wardrobes of work clothes, you know, different sizes. And the signal for me was always like when the biggest pants of the biggest size we're getting snug. I was like, well, I'm not buying more. So I'm not going up another size. So I guess I have to like, suck it up, go back to Weight Watchers, be totally miserable and get this weight off. And I promised myself when I lost it, like this time, I mean it, like, I'm not going to gain the weight back, except then I always did. And so a lot of things kind of happened at once, all surrounding me approaching my 40th birthday. I don't know what it is <laughs> about turning 40, but there was a lot of self-reflection, a lot of just not even just with my weight, but just with everything. And so I knew about life coaching from the Oprah show because Martha Beck used to be on it. So I had heard the term. I didn't really know what it was, but I had heard the term. I then years later had an issue with extended family that I didn't think a therapist was Probably what I needed help with, but I knew I did have the introspective ability to understand that I was the problem, but I didn't know how to fix it. And this old Pilates teacher, a friend of mine who had actually moved away, she had told me she wanted to be a life coach, so I thought I should reach out to her. And she had just gone through a life coach training. So she did two calls with me and taught me some basic principles that totally blew my mind. I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. I totally want to know everything. And at the time, it was not a good time for me to become a coach. It just, we had too much going on personally, but I I really put it like on the someday list, like someday I want to do more with that. Then I found out, oh my gosh, you can use life coach tools to lose weight. I was like, wait, what, what do you mean? Because at this point I'd already realized like, okay, I'd had my last baby. I'd lost all the weight. I'd gained it all back. And I was like, okay. I think this might not be working. (laughs) Like, so many times I've done this, I think it might not be working. And so I was trying some other things. And, you know, they all helped me in terms of being able to get to where I am now, but they weren't really the ultimate solution. So I kind of simultaneously, you know, became a coach because I wanted to learn more of the tools and joined an intensive seven month long weight loss coaching program. And didn't really want a business or anything. Also left medicine for a whole different reason. Not thinking that for sure I wouldn't go back. I just knew I needed a break. I was, like I said, at 40, it was a big, I was really just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I have to sort myself out. And maybe it's going back to medicine. Maybe it's something else. I just don't know. And so it just completely transformed my life, my brain, everything. And I was just like, I needed this so badly when I was in practice, like I had actually Googled weight loss for doctors, like who's helping the doctors, certainly somebody must be out there doing this, and there was just nothing. And so I thought, well, maybe I could be that person. I literally had the thought, like, maybe there could be a couple of doctors who might want this information. And so that was what I hung my hat on, you know, I'm just like, well, there might be a few people out there. And so that was four years ago, four years ago, five years ago,
0: I think it was five. Cause I think we had, a. I think it was five.
1: I think same so. Start yeah. point. It was for sure. Five years ago. Yes. And it starts to run together. Doesn't it? I'm like, it does. this is simple math. That's hard. Okay. So yeah, I just, you know, things have just really kind of taken off. And now what I do is I help women physicians who are in clinical practice to lose weight permanently through group coaching. And it's amazing. I love it. It's so fun.
0: And so many people, we have, you don't know this, but we're like one degree of separation away. So many people who are my friends, who are my colleagues, who I coach with at times, they have been through your programming and they sing your praises.
1: Oh, fun. Oh, that's so great. That's so great to hear. Because, you know, I have a human brain too, right? Just like everyone else. And it is actually nice to hear that because my brain, just like everyone else's brain, will if I don't hear some positive feedback from time to time, my brain will literally be like, everyone hates what you do. And I'll be like, maybe that's yeah, true. You yes. suck. <laughs> no one wants your shit. Exactly. And then someone's like, you changed my life. I'm like, thank you for telling me that. I needed to hear that.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I am making December the month of celebration because after the shitstorm of 2020, we need a month of celebration. And I just sent an email out to my people asking this exact thing. How in 2020 have I positively impacted your life because i need that evidence as well so instead of doing a vision board this year and that's one of the things i'm doing at the end of the month is telling you to screw vision boards we're gonna do it different this year but is really doing like i literally opened a google document and wrote 2020 celebrations on it and so i'm gonna compile all of those because so many times our brain wants to go to covid lockdown In 95 mass, right? You know, lack of PPE, vaccine, like all the things. When I'm like, no, we have choice and we can look at the things to celebrate this year. And it's been so cool. I've been going back in my calendar because I'm like a Google Calendar queen. Everything is in there and it keeps my record of like, oh, I did that thing. And I spoke at that online conference. And then I'm going back and I'm going to count, like how many encounters did I have of this kind? And just like really take a good tally of the year so that when I close the books in 2020, I can be like, that was an amazing year. Despite everything. It's an amazing year. And sometimes we feel like, oh, we shouldn't ask or we shouldn't like pull that out of people. But I say no. Like, We need to give that praise. You needed to know what how your story
1: impacted me, and we need to share that because it elevates everyone. Well, I don't know about you, but I will listen to like a podcast and be like the hugest fan and tell everybody about it. But I wouldn't go leave a review or, God forbid, email the person and be like, "Oh my gosh, your podcast has totally changed my life." So when I do get an email, I'm like this must really be a big deal. So flattered. flattered. Like I do not take that lightly. Like this person took time out of their day to like find my email address and actually let me know. And, And then I try to remind myself, there's so many others out there who would say the same thing. They're just living their life and, you know, Love and life and things are great, and that's why they're not feeling the need to let me know. But it is, I think you know, this comes up too with doctors so often with the reviews, right? Like you'll get like all these amazing, you know, rave reviews, you know, whether it's Google reviews or it's like your Press Ganey surveys or like any of that stuff, and then you get like the one that's like, I hate this person; they're the worst person in the world. And of course, the one yeah, right. we focus, yes, on. our brain. I mean, we have a negativity bias; like it totally makes sense why our brains would focus on that so much. But what we then do is we start. Thinking that that's what everybody thinks, even though we have evidence right under our noses that it's not what everyone thinks. Then we're like, no, they're just being nice. They just, you know, like we we start creating the story that's totally made up, and then we believe it, and it makes us feel terrible. So we have to be really careful. Like if you're going to read the negative, you really have to make sure that you have the positive too. And like for so many people, it's the opposite that people need where it's kind of like, hey, if you're going to read all the positive, you also need the negative to counteract, you know, counterbalance balance yourself. But doctors, we don't need, we're hard enough on ourselves. We don't need any more. <laughs> voluntary you know negativity in there and it's hard too because you want to be able to look at the negative feedback and see what's true in it like there might be some things that you could improve on you know if it hurts it's because you probably agree to some to a certain extent but then you don't have to let it turn into like a total shame spiral of course you know my clients are the ones who are then over drinking, overeating, you know, just consuming to try to not feel that anymore. We don't have to approach it in that way. There are other ways to go about it. I totally agree.
0: And yeah, it's such a big deal. It's such a big deal to get those messages. And I think as doctors, so many times, like somebody, if we saw them in the office or the hospital, they're like, thank you so much for taking care of our kid. Like, who keeps track of that? I right. never did. No. I think about it now intentionally. But like when you would get a card in the mail, or especially around Christmas time, you're in the Midwest. People bake like crazy.
2: Yeah, they do. <laughs> so the, oh, the yeah,
0: stuff they do. Pull, yeah. Pulling in. And the yeah. best gift that I ever got uh, I was taking care of a patient and he brought me two huge bags, like gallon sized bags of frozen catfish that he had skinned oh. and cleaned. Himself. <gasps> That's a great Guilty gift. Today. Oh, my yes. gosh. That's amazing. Best gift I ever got as a doctor is, is So great. But anyway, <laughs> we do need to keep remembering that these things are a big deal and we do need to remind ourselves that we are not the one of people who need to be knocked off the pedestal. Right. Like we're not the social media influencers, yes. we're not the president of the United States right now. <laughs> right. Um we are not <laughs> right. that. Right. right. That needs to have grounding. Yes. We are the people in our mentality either stuck in perfectionism, negative bias, thought tornadoes,
1: yeah, imposter we need to syndrome. Pull ourselves
0: the gutter yeah. and be like, no, girl, like dust yourself off. Look how great you are.
1: And I love that that's what we both intentionally coach on as well. Yes. Yes. And it's really just like, you know, I coach on sort of like the one manifestation of that, which is using food to feel better. And, you know, not everybody uses food and maybe alcohol to feel better. You know, there's other ways that you can, you know, try to soothe Work. and comfort yourself. That's why we burn out. Yes. Right. Exactly. So, you know, it's like we're on the same team. We're doing the same work and helping people with that same work, you know, helping these doctors to have that positive opinion of themselves. Like, it's okay to think that you're awesome. It doesn't mean that you're arrogant or egotistical. It doesn't mean you're going to be a total jerk to people. It's not like, hey, if I'm awesome, then you suck. It's like, hey, I'm awesome and you're awesome and everyone else is awesome. Let's all be awesome together. Like that might actually feel better than everybody sitting around and just complaining about everything all the time, which is the current culture of medicine.
0: And isn't that awesome how the coaching community is like that, and how we're infusing that into healthcare a little bits at a time? Right, we're getting it's there. Like, we're just dripping it's gonna it happen. In. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yep, we're slow infusion of some D five right now, getting exactly. it into people's veins. That's right. To realize, like, getting away that you have to tear others down to elevate. And that like, no, we really can all be awesome. We can be awesome together. And hey, you know, it's kind of okay just to be average. I am really like starting to live in that. Average is okay. Because like, what is pushing? What is like shoving? What is running my head into the wall more to be above average really getting me
1: besides a headache? Totally. Nothing. Well, you know what's interesting is I actually just had an interview. It hasn't even gone live on my podcast yet, but I interviewed this psychologist. His name is Rick Hansen. He's written several books, but the main one that I was talking to him about is called Resilient. And he was saying how he likes to look at it like, you know, in track and field sports, there's the decathlon, right? So there's, you know, 10 different track and field races or what, I mean, events. Events. Thank you. I'm like, I'm not going to say this right. I don't even know how to say it, but all the different events. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. And and, you know, 10 of these now in each of those single events, if they went, if the decathlete, like the amazing world-class decathlete did like the 50 yard dash with, you know, against the people who that's like their main event, they would lose and they would lose utterly in all of those events, but they're the best At doing all 10 of them, being able to do all 10 of them. And that we can look at our lives that way too. Like, we don't have to be the best doctor, meaning however you want to define that, right? Like, with the best scores or the most patients or the happiest patients or the whatever, however you want to define that, and the best partner and the best mom and the best daughter and the best friend and the best sister and the best everything. Like, that's not possible, but we can be the best version of us in all of those events in our lives, essentially. Oh Don't you love that? I, love that I just example. love that so much. I, well, I stole it. it. and Now I'm sharing it with you. It's so good, right? I'm like, you just have to be the decathlete. Exactly. It's so Good.
0: Exactly. 100%. So we've been talking a long time. We finally have to get to your word because it is such a good word. And I think it's something that was really revolutionary for me that... My feelings didn't have to dictate everything in my life. So that's your word today. Feelings. Hit us
1: with it. Feelings. Feelings are everything. Feelings are so important. Feelings do create, you know, all of our results, but... We totally have control over what we're feeling. I know it doesn't seem like that. A lot of people really push back on that. I don't know if you get that same pushback too, but people are often just like, no, like what I'm feeling is just what I'm feeling. And we don't recognize that it's actually our thoughts that are creating those feelings. Feelings are so important because as doctors, we are trained to live in our heads that, you know, our brain power is what's valued and what's prized. And we're praised for that. And admired for that. And everything happening in our bodies, especially when we're in our training, like needing to go to the bathroom or being hungry or thirsty or tired, like none of that's relevant because you're going to use your brain to decide what you need. And also the feelings that you experience, right? Being so frustrated, being upset, being maybe mad at the people you're working with, or also to feeling really, really sad or upset that maybe something that you were involved with didn't work out the way you wanted it to or had hoped it would, we just learn how to suppress all of that. We have to keep this professional demeanor and you just have to like button it all up and move on. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that because that probably is appropriate, but what we're then not taught is what to do with all those open loop emotions. We have these like half-started emotions that we've just stuffed down and there's so many problems that come from us doing that. And for the clients that I work with, they are people who end up using food to feel better, or possibly drinking alcohol as well. Other people are spending too much. Other people are working too much. Other people are in relationships that are really, really difficult, and they don't know how to make it better, right? We think like, oh, my job needs to change or You know, my spouse needs to be act different, or you know, if my kids could just be better behaved, like then I wouldn't have to be so angry all the time. Not recognizing that nobody else is determining how we feel, like we are creating that with the way that we think. So it's actually super empowering. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm in control of how I feel. That's amazing. And like you know, a positive thinking thing. Like there are times we want to feel bad, right? We want to feel negative emotion. The primary example is when somebody that we love dies. Like we don't want to feel like it's not a big deal and feel happy about it. So there's negative emotion can be very useful and very cathartic, but we don't know how to manage, you know, our emotions at all. Really, we don't really know what to do with all the emotions that we have. So that is just what I spend a lot of time doing with my clients is teaching them How to actually process emotions, how to identify what you're feeling, like what it feels like actually in your body, learning how to be with it and feel it. I always think of it as like becoming best friends with that emotion. Like I did that with the feeling of rejection. Now I'm like, oh, I know exactly what rejection feels like for me. And then it's not like, oh my gosh, I feel awful. Like, what is this? I need to run away and hide something bad is happening. It's like, oh, it's an emotion that I'm experiencing. And I can experience that and be with it and let it pass and then move on with that rational part of my brain.
0: Absolutely. And when I'm doing my coaching, I identify it as the monster in the closet or the basement. And like you said, for so long, we've been told like you got to shove this little furry thing just shove it away, close the door, get to the next room. And what happens with that, with those emotions is they grow and they change and they go from being like a little teddy bear emotion that was like "Eh, a little bit uncomfortable to like these big, hairy, nasty things that then you can't keep them behind the basement door anymore. And they just start like popping out at the most inopportune times. And so I love personifying emotions in that way so that we can start building relationships with them and we can learn from them and we can feel them. So take everybody and take me deeper then into the emotions work. Where do you typically start people? Because... We know each other. Like, we know who we are. And (laughs) my emotional uh, range was either happy or miserable. And I knew nothing in the middle. Right.
1: Yeah. I was, like, pissed or like in a pretty good mood. (laughs) It was like pretty much, that was like my range, which is funny because I never really thought of myself as really an angry person. I thought it was all like justified that I was frustrated with the people around me because they were just acting in ways that weren't acceptable. So of course I was going to be angry, not recognizing that I was creating that. So it really kind of depends on the individual person, exactly how we dive into this, but let's just you know, we'll take me as an example where where my, you know, emotional intelligence was low in the sense that I, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't know what I was feeling. It was like, it never would even occur to me to even contemplate that question ever. So I was so unattuned to what I was feeling unattuned to what was really going on, you know, behind me being annoyed about whatever thing that happened at home or at work, that we have to just actually get in touch with like, what is it that we're feeling even just like right now, sometimes we just need to just in the moment, no matter whether it's a positive or negative emotion that we're experiencing, just close our eyes, move from our heads into our bodies, and find out what's happening in there like repopulated is how I think of it. You know, it's like, sometimes I kind of joke that like me and my body are Siamese twins. That's kind of what I, what I, I shouldn't say Siamese twins, conjoined twins. That's the term to use. We're conjoined twins. And cause like I'm here and my body's there and we can't get away from one another, but we are different parts of the whole. And so I think of it like, okay, Hey body, what's going on? What's going on in there? Let me check in. Is there an area that's hurting? Is there an area that's sore? Are there any emotions? And, like, what, where are the emotions? We don't even have to have a name for them yet. Just like, where is it? Like, oh, it's kind of like right around, you know, sort of the pit of my stomach. And it's about the size of a softball. And it's sort of vibrating and it's orange. Right. And, like, is it just really getting to know what is happening in our bodies? just identifying it. And it's not good or bad, but just understanding what's happening in there and learning how to be with it until it goes away. So the cool thing is that our emotions are created by our thoughts. I mean, literally like neurochemically, this is what's happening. And so if you keep thinking the same thought, you'll keep experiencing the emotion. But if you think a thought that creates an emotion that you're not liking, and you stop thinking that thought with homeostasis, right, our bodies are always cleaning ourselves out You're really not going to feel that emotion that long, five to 15 minutes, probably max. And so you get to build up your confidence. Like that didn't feel super great, but I can feel that for 15 minutes or 10 minutes. I can be with myself until that passes. I don't have to snap at somebody. I don't have to, you know, react. I don't have to eat something. I can really just be with myself and support myself in the process of. Allowing this emotion to be there, and then allowing it to what I I call it closing the loop. Like so, then okay, the emotion is processed. It's done. It's gone. Off we go. Like I think of it as like having this really, like really heavy backpack, you know, of all these like you were saying like these these kind of half started emotions that we stuff down. It really weighs on you over the course of time. I think you become more reactive. Your brain is so much more skilled at creating stories that don't serve you about what's happening in the world and what people's intentions are, and you know just all the, all the stories that we tell that don't serve us when we have those emotions that are left unresolved. So it sounds, I think for a lot of people are like, what emotions, weird, gross. I'm telling you, this is it. Like this is feelings are the ticket to all of it. When you can learn to be with your body and absolutely just love on yourself and support yourself. It's incredible. It's really the ticket to whatever the goal is that that you have set for yourself, whatever the result is that you want, because you're going to be able to feel all the emotions that come with it and move forward rather than using coping strategies that end up holding you Mm -hmm.
0: back. Absolutely. So I look at emotions as data points for unmet needs. And to just like you're, you're doing like check in with it, like I remember the first time somebody told me, like, well, what color
1: are you feeling? I'm like, what? What do you mean, what color? I know, right? I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> but it, it does make sense. Like, lame. like, Right. I know. It totally does. When you try it, you're like, no, it for sure has a color. I yeah. remember being like, in my right glute, there's this gray, lumpy ball. I'm like, okay. That's what's in there, you know? <laughs> One of the exercises I wrote, because
0: I am super hyperactive. I'm like a squirrel on methamphetamines. Just all the time moving. <laughs> excessively probably in rhabdo. but when i was going with my best friend to some yoga classes i hated shavasana
1: hated
0: it and what i learned to do that is i made a little bit modification that i called the the shavasana ct scan and it was this exact same thing where instead of like laying on a cold floor i was thinking about like okay if i was on a ct gantry And getting ready to go through the CT scan, like what would it pick up if I'm using like my imaginary color feeling chart type thing? And that has been so helpful to me to with my, you know, nerdy science brain to look at that. And I think the one thing that people always want to jump to when they start doing emotion work is, well, how do we fix it? And that's where I try to back people up all the time is like, no, 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 no. We're just here to notice it and name it, get back in touch with it. Because for years, decades, we have not been listening to these data points at all about ourselves. So our bodies are going haywire and like throwing myalgias, headaches, IBS, all the things at us to be like, hey, pay attention. So, of course, like when we start checking in with it, it's going to feel really haywire and it's going to feel like all over the place because no more is it just like the subtleness of it. It's throwing the kitchen sink
1: at us and everything else behind it. Well, that's why I think that doing this work with a coach is so useful because then you have someone kind of walking you through the process. I am not sure that I... I mean, I'm sure I could have done it on my own. I just think I probably wouldn't have, you know what I mean? Like I kind of would have been like, eh. It would not be as much. Yeah, it's totally being held, you know, not physically held, but like emotionally held, you know, by somebody else as you're going through the process, it just feels so much safer. And then you can learn how to do it yourself. And, you know, having someone lead you through it, guide you through it several times is so helpful. I actually in my program have uh, a meditation that I created for people who are feeling food urges, like urges to overeat, because so often we were finding our clients were just like, I have these urges, you know, the urges is, is a feeling, right? It's like that intense desire. And they're like, I really don't want to eat this food, but like, I just, I can't in the moment deal with it. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to walk you through it through this meditation. So I'm like, great, here's a meditation. You just put me in your ears and I will walk you through the process of being with that urge until it passes without needing to eat the food. Because of course, what happens is, so you eat some food, who cares? Like that's not really that big of a deal. It's how bad they then feel afterward right? I, uh, you know, I wasn't going to do this and I did it again and making that mean all kinds of terrible things about them, you know, that they're never going to accomplish their goals. And of course it, you know, it can set them back too in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. And so I'm like, let's just, let's just skip all of that. And I'll help you through all of it. I know
0: we're talking about feelings here, but I think you bring up a really good point is after then like you start getting in touch with those feelings and you're like, oh, I am experiencing extreme desire right now. <laughs> when they feel an urge, the next step then is like reminding yourself that you have choice, which I think is huge because you know so many times when you are on auto program, you are like, "Oh, it's totally scientific. If I feel this way, then this is what I do." Mm-hmm. But instead, it's saying like, "Even if I feel this, yeah, I choose." And I think that's a really empowering tool as well, like going the next step is remembering that in all things, just because you're getting the signal, it doesn't evidently mean like an auto process, like you follow the protocol to the T. Right. Like you get to change that. You get to have the choice in that.
1: Now, I always think of it as like if you have gotten, let's just use urges just because it's a great example, the urge to eat, and then you meet that urge again and again and again, you know, that neural pathway is very strong. It's like a well-worn rut or it's like a, you know, like a deep riverbed. And so you can totally through neuroplasticity reroute that, but that riverbed is still going to be there. So like you can, you know, it'll happily refill with water again. So sometimes I have clients who are like, oh my gosh, for months I've been so great. Like urges have been down so much. And like when I get one, I just totally... Just process it. No big deal. And then, you know, whatever happened in my life that was stressful or, you know, anxiety provoking or something like that. And then now I totally am back to uh, meeting the urges with food and they think like, I can't do this or see, I screwed up, right? You know, it's not possible for me to be able to work through this. And I'm just like, no, listen, your brain was just like, Hey, for our normal stressors, that was cool. We could feel those urges and not have to meet them. But now this big thing happened. Hey, remember that riverbed is still there, still a path of least resistance, we could just Deal with it that way. Remember that? And what I always think is when you go back to that, the brain's like, oh, we're eating again. Okay. And then your urges, of course, are much higher again for, you know, a period of time until you're able to kind of resend that message back to the brain of like, it's cool. I've got us. We don't need to eat food. It's all good. <laughs> so, so it's all normal.
0: What I always tell my people is deeper levels, deeper devils. We got the surface stuff. And like you said, as you get down into it, then it's like you said, like that neural tracking is still there. That neural pathway is still there. And it's in those moments of highest stress that then that's when you can pull out all the work that you've been doing about like, oh, there's some potato chips sitting on the bar, whatever, you know, like I can walk past those versus, you know, something that's that's even bigger and deeper. And I think that's a great analogy of using like the river trench or the riverbed with it, that it's probably still there and it can easily fill and also can be easily drained again. Exactly. It's Amazing.
1: Thing. It's totally not a big deal to, to have that happen. You know, like I also like to think about like rivers, rivers come up a lot in my coaching. <laughs> so I'm like, we could just go with the flow of the river. Whenever we're trying to improve ourselves in whatever way, or, you know, change things, adjust things, we often make it so much harder than it needs to be. We really can't, like, you know, a, a river isn't like, let me work really hard at flowing downstream, right? Like, it's just like there's an ease to it. And like sometimes it flows fast when it's like narrow and steep. And sometimes the riverbed widens, it's much flatter and it's a much slower pace. That I feel like that can just describe the whole weight loss process. Like sometimes we're at a clip and things are going great, sometimes we're at a plateau and it seems like nothing's happening, but we're moving forward. We just have to keep showing up every day. And we get to let it be easy. And there, you know, as little effort as possible, like it doesn't have to be hard. It can be very hard if we decide we want it to be hard. And because most people believe that it has to be hard. But that's really just a thought that you can question. And it can be a different experience for you. So I like to think about that too, like rivers just flowing effortlessly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, Katrina, it has been just an absolute honor to be hanging with you today. I know that our audience got so many kicks of encouragement and just aha moments going on through here. Talk a little bit about if people, if this is their first time hearing you, or even if it's their millionth time hearing you, where do you hang out? Where would be a place for them to come seek your
1: resources and all that good yeah, stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so my podcast is called Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, since of course, um, you know, someone listening to this is probably a podcast fan. So, um, so that is a, a great place to start. But I have over 200 episodes. And so sometimes people are kind of like, that's overwhelming. So if you go to my website, Katrina, under the resources tab, I actually have a free PDF that will give you the top 30 episodes to start listening to if you want to get started losing weight, just to give you some direction. I just think of it like, you know, listen to an episode a day, start applying what I teach you. And by the end of that first 30 days, you're going to have made some significant progress. So KatrinaUbellMD.com, then go forward slash resources or just go there and click on the resources tab.
0: Booyah. I love it. Amazing. Well, thanks again for coming on here. Sure, thank you for Aaron,
1: being my so friend, Absolutely. my colleague. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, this is, I'm just so grateful for this opportunity. It was so fun talking to you.
0: what it's like to hang out in a group with me, to catch me live, in person, and around all the other amazing women who listen to this podcast? Well, I want to invite you to our monthly free, totally free, masterclass that happens the last Sunday of every single month at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That's right. So much fun, so much collective goodness all in one place. We're still doing the Be Happy Now series, and so I break down a topic each month that will help propel you into living a life where you can be freaking happy now. So if interested, jump on the website, burntouttobadass.com and sign up for this next month's masterclass. I can't wait
2: to see you there. Can you
0: tell I really love Dr. Katrina Ubell? Seriously, we went on to talk for probably another 20, 30 minutes (laughs) after we closed our recording just because we were having just such great connection and community together. So Katrina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for the work that you're doing that we can work side by side in the same arena and love on each other. Just absolutely amazing. Thank you so much again for coming on. All right, let's get into our kick of encouragement today. Let's talk about negativity bias. Have you heard of it before? I bet if you haven't heard of it, you have experienced it. So negativity bias is our tendencies to not only register negative stimuli, more readily than positive, but also then to dwell on those events. It's also known in the psychology world as positive-negative asymmetry. And the negative bias means that we feel the sting of the negativity more powerfully than we feel the joy of praise or of other types of emotions. So this is a psychological phenomenon. It explains why you know, bad first impressions can be so difficult to overcome, why past traumas can be super lingering. And I think in the doctoring world, uh, we're actually kind of trained for negative bias. I mean, when I was in the ER, I remember my attendings telling me like, okay, what's the top of your differential? What are the things that with this chief complaint are going to kill, maim, or otherwise injure your patient? Right? Right. I mean, that is always what we're seeking out. It's always eliminating what is the worst case possibility. So we've almost trained and pointed our brains towards this psychological phenomenon. Other ways that people talk about this is seeing the glass half empty or waiting for the other shoe to drop is another example. And so what does research tell us then about humans who tend to fit into this? Well, we pay more attention to negative events than positive ones, like Dr. Katrina Ubell mentioned when you have 100 good patient surveys and then you've got the one that blasts you. Or you've got so many good positive podcast reviews and then you've got one person who, if they could give you a negative star, they they would, right? Also, we tend to learn more from our negative outcomes and our experiences, like we tend to focus on that. And that's one thing when I'm talking to my mastermind group recently when we were talking about rejection is thinking about all the times that you've been rejected and you're like, oh, I know I've been rejected," But then like getting really into the nitty gritty of those details and then, you know, Looking at the other side, which is why I've made December the month of celebration and trying to look at the positive outcomes and the positive experiences because it's so easy to learn more and to base our experience off the negative ones. The other thing that research says about us when we tend to stay in negativity bias is that we make decisions based off negative information more than positive information. And I think this is really important to bring up here on this podcast because this podcast is all about change. It's about transitions. It's about demonstrating people's stories who have done those things. And if you're operating out of a place of making changes and making decisions based off the negative information, is that going to beget more negative information? Just a little question I'm going to throw out there for you. So, okay, negative bias at some point used to be helpful for us. Back millions of years ago when we were running away from the Tyrannosaurus Rex or what other big predator was after us. We needed our brains to pay attention to bad, dangerous, and negative threats in our world, right? Because, I mean, it was, it was life or death at that point. And those who were more attuned to danger, who paid more attention to the bad things and didn't eat the bright red berries, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing, they were more likely to survive. So that means that through generations, the genes that have made us more attentive to danger have been passed down. However, as much as my kids would love a Tyrannosaurus Rex to be in our backyard or, you know, something big and scary and crazy, we don't really any longer need that constant high alert that our very early ancestors needed to survive. But negativity bias is still very much a part of how our brains are operating. And again, psychological research has shown that this negative bias has a wide variety of effects on people, on how people think, how they respond, and getting into this podcast topic on how they feel. So, some of the everyday areas that you might be feeling the results of this in your think, respond, feel relationships, in your decision making, and also on how you perceive people. So, let's break down those three categories. In relationships, this type of bias may lead you to expect the worst in people, particularly like in close relationships. You can anticipate like something's going to come up and then your defenses come up and you argue resentment, all of that sort of thing. And the other thing too is in those close relationships, if you're already operating out of a negativity bias, when negative comments come up from a close relationship, they're going to carry more weight, because again, they're negative, but also because that they're coming from someone so much closer, right? Think about it now, when I said the second category, which is decision making. So if we are operating out of our decision making from negative aspects, then this tendency overemphasizes the negativity that can have an impact of the choices that we're making and the risk for which we are willing to take. This is so good because this is what gets into, if we're thinking off of negative past experiences, it's why our fear gets triggered to be so much bigger. And because we often fear the consequences of a negative outcome, if we've had a negative outcome, it's almost like compounding. Does that make sense? And so you'll feel a negative reaction for instance, say, if you lose money, and then if you lose money again, versus if you had positive feeling of getting money, a paycheck every two weeks, or some money drops into your PayPal account, and that compounding over. And the other place where negativity bias shows up, too, is in our perception of people and perception of the world, Really? When we form impressions of a situation, of people, we tend to focus more on that negative information when we're in a negativity bias. And so we start looking more delineating at good and bad and giving more weight to those bad descriptors when we're in a situation. So with all this doom and gloom, you're like, all right, Wiseman, what's going on? How do I get through my negativity bias? All right, here's my top. Tips that I think that you can use to get over it. One, recognize that it's there—that you're dwelling on negative thoughts, that um, you tend to be a glass half-empty type of person. Just know that it's there about you. I would say that a majority of clinicians, this is our tendency, and I'm not going to say natural tendency because I think. Well, again, like we have the whole ancestors genes from, you know, when the mammoth was chasing us. But again, I think there's some environmental training for which we do to see the worst case scenarios. So just recognizing like, oh, hey, I have a name for this now. It's called negativity bias. The next thing that I would encourage is starting to turn down the noise on that negativity in your self-talk. And so start paying attention to those thoughts that are running in your head. So many times those are on autoplay in the background, like elevator music, and you don't even know you're there. So one great tactic to do this is to start talking out your negative thoughts. I do that in a lot of coaching sessions and just asking people, what's on your mind right now? Go total word vomit on me. If you don't have that coach to bounce it off, I want you to get a piece of paper, post it note, scratch piece of paper, maybe it's a real fancy leather journal, whatever. And I want you just to do a stream of consciousness and write out all those thoughts. You know, I'm not going to say stop the negative self-talk because just as the heart beats, the brain has thoughts. But what I think it is important to notice is that those thoughts that are chattering in the background do skew you and you first have to know them. And then after you have got that, then you can reframe the situation. So Katrina, she did this when she was talking about feelings in the podcast where she was saying like, check in, where are you feeling this in your body? Same thing for this negativity. Check in, see where it's hanging out in your body. You don't have to name it. You don't have to explain it. You just have to check in and find where it is and then feel it for a little while. Then also you can go to the next step, which is starting to reframe it. So... How you talk to yourself about circumstances, experiences, events, people plays a huge role in how you interpret those. So it's kind of like your filter, you know, do you have a negative cruddy filter? Because what's going to come out on the other side is negative and cruddy. So when you find yourself interpreting people in a negative way, instead of just being like, oh, I got to do this and stop, I don't want you to take it all the way there to like the rose colored glasses. I just want you to take it to like a neutral position just a clean, like, this is what it is, reframing it. And so a lot of times when I'm talking to my people, and when I'm saying, you know, facts, not feelings, what I mean for that is what are the, like, take it to the bank, holds up in the court of law, does not have any kind of observations or feelings woven into it, simply the facts. And so Another way to frame this is like in a soap note form. So like the subjective, that's where it's going to have like all the feelings and all the negativity bias and like all the color. But in the objective portion of our note, that's when we're like the sodium level is 139. It just, that is the number. That is what it is. And so this reframing, is, I want you to think about it as like, this is what it is. Uh, grade two systolic, holosystolic murmur. That is what you heard on your physical exam. Patient has a right lower extremity amputee. It just, you're stating exactly what it is and reframing the situation. And again, not making it like super happy, but just in a neutral, like as it is frame. And then the next thing what I want you to do is start to look in for new patterns. When you find yourself getting in a thought tornado, of like, oh my God, this is the worst thing, and what's going to happen next, and on and on and on. My example is always what I used to use with my dog, Linus. Like, oh my God, Linus puked on the floor. Oh my God, Linus probably has cancer. Oh my God, Linus is dying at this moment right now. That's a total thought tornado that's going down. Instead, Linus had just eaten some crayons that the kids had left on the floor, and his belly hurt, and he threw them up. So looking at your patterns when you start to get in a thought tornado is so important that you're like, hey, I'm in a thought tornado right now. <laughs> this is what's happening. Not trying to like totally redirect it and stop it, but just noticing it kind of takes the power out of it. And then the last thing I want you to do is savor positivity. Eat it up like delicious peanut M&M's. Gumdrops, whatever your favorite like savoring memento is, hence mine is peanut M and M's. But it's so easy for us to drop the positivity and move on to the next negative. Drop something great that happened to our life, a happy moment, and move on to the oh my god, can you believe this? I mean, that's what our media lives off of. I actually have a friend that she keeps a small little notebook of all the little happy, positive, joyful things that happen to her life. Even if it's like, I saw a beautiful sunrise this morning as I was driving my daughter to work or I love the gleam of my kitten's eyes when she looks at me. I think it's so important that we really start to store up that positivity because when we don't have it, then it really does feel like all negative. So there you go. Those are my kicks of encouragement. A little bit long today, but you know what? There's a lot to go with negativity bias, and I'm just so excited to introduce it here on the podcast. As always, my friends, I want to leave you saying Happy New Year. Happy 2021. I am so, so thankful for the time and the energy and everything that you have put into me, into Dr. Me First, into the community, connecting with my guests and fellow listeners. I want you to walk away from this knowing that I am so, so grateful for you. And I am just so excited for you to be part of my community and part of Dr. Me First. You're amazing. You're doing great things in the world. I am so proud of you. And I want you to know that I am holding you in light and love. So the badass in me honors the badass in you. And remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.